The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. A couple months ago, we asked you guys to get in touch and tell us what you think about one of the buzziest tech companies around. We wanted to hear from owners as well as potential buyers. I've had my Tesla Model S for three years. It's the best car I've ever owned. I I definitely want to get a Tesla. I've always wanted one. I think they're beautiful cars. I love the Tesla Model S. I like the smooth ride, the great nav system, the internet radio, the connected car app. We got a lot of that, by the way. Tesla owners, we can tell you love your cars. And for those of you who don't have a Tesla yet, one concern stood out. I called up one of our listeners to get a better picture. My name is Ramon Vero. I'm 31 years old. I am a business analyst living in Southern California. Ramon works at California State University in Long Beach. He and his girlfriend like driving out of the city into the desert near Joshua Tree. We go usually two or three times per year to different meteor showers. For now, Ramon drives a Honda Element he bought in 2007, but he dreams of owning a Tesla. The Tesla brand is synonymous with cool for me, particularly just because I admire Elon Musk so much and SpaceX. And obviously, you know, talking about the meteor showers earlier, space exploration is something that is absolutely fascinating to both me and my partner. At a starting price of $35,000, the Model 3, the first of which just came off the assembly line this summer, is Tesla's most affordable car. And Ramon thinks he can afford it. But he has one last worry that's keeping him from pulling the trigger. I don't believe that any of the four or five weekend vacations that we've taken in the last 12 months that I saw any charging station. Hi, I'm Aki Ito. And I'm Pia Gadkari. And this week on Decrypted, we're going deep into the world of electric cars and asking why, despite tremendous advances and much hype, they still haven't gone mainstream. In the U.S., electric vehicles still make up only 1% of new car sales. What could finally change that is an ambitious and expensive plan that's already underway, funded by Tesla and a handful of other companies to build charging stations along America's highways. Kind of like new gas stations for the electric age, so that drivers like Ramon never have to worry about running out of battery on a road trip. Tesla just announced that it's expanding its network of superchargers to not just highways and destinations, but to the center of cities like Boston and Chicago. But will more charging points be enough to convince drivers all over the world to finally make the leap to electric cars? And what happens to companies like Tesla if, after investing millions of dollars on this infrastructure, they don't sell enough cars to make up for that investment? Stay with us. On July 28th, after literally years of waiting, 
Elon Musk got on stage at Tesla's headquarters in Fremont, California. He unveiled the Model 3 car. All right. <laughs> Everyone. The people in the audience are the people that have designed and engineered and built the Model 3. It was a big milestone for Tesla. Elon says nearly 500,000 people have reserved a Tesla Model 3. And because it's so much cheaper than Tesla's Model S and Model X cars, it's been viewed as a potential tipping point for the entire electric car market. Then, while he was on stage, Elon Musk took a moment to mention. By the end of next year, there will be three times as many superchargers as there are today. So that should really help out a lot. Superchargers are the facilities that Tesla has built around the country, so people on long drives don't run out of power in the middle. They charge your car in as little as half an hour, much more quickly than the kind of plugs you'd have at home or at work. That's so you don't have to wait around all day at the electric equivalent of a gas station. And Elon might sound relaxed, but the need to charge up mid-drive is an existential issue for the electric car industry. It's super significant, and I'll, t- I'll tell you why. It's, it's um, in our opinion, it's the last barrier to sales for the general consumer. That's Pat Romano. He's the CEO of a company called ChargePoint. Most people don't want to worry about that. They just want to know that when they're driving along and their battery is getting low, that if they look to the left and look to the right on the highway over the next five or six miles, they can see something that looks like a place that they can go and get a fast charge. So if that's the general consumer sentiment, and there's nothing wrong with that sentiment, by the way, because your car should be something that is serving you and not not the reverse, um, what we have to do is we have to focus on planned build-out of appropriate sites on highways to cover the, the world's corridors between metro areas before the general consumer population is going to say, look, I can make this my only vehicle. Pat's company, ChargePoint, is the world's largest network of electric charging stations. For now, most of his business comes from the long-duration charging connectors people use at home or at work when the car has hours to charge up. Most consumers, uh, the fueling model for gas cars is so ingrained in their minds that they actually are constantly trying to frame their thinking about electric vehicles as how much range does the battery have and it doesn't have as much range as my gas tank so that must be bad because I really want to go somewhere every three to five days and refuel. Why do you want that chore? Why not just fuel while you're doing something else? So a lot of people who drive electric cars will tell you a version of what Pat's saying here that really you hardly ever need to do a gas station style charge up because you completely emptied your battery. That's because there are actually dozens of charging points all around us. That's especially true if you live in a big city. So I checked out Tesla's map of where you can charge, and I had no idea that in Manhattan, you're basically never more than a few blocks away from a parking garage that's fitted with a few Tesla connectors. So you could keep topping up your battery when you're moving around, not just when you're at home or at work, but when you go out for dinner, go shopping, go to the cinema. I guess most people only do these long road trips a handful times a year. 
Although I probably wouldn't fit into that category of most people. I drive hundreds of miles every weekend to get outside the city and、uh, go camping and biking and whatnot. So Pat has future customers like you in mind when he says these things, and that's why, even though his main business is in long duration charging, he's going to start building fast highway connectors. What it does do is it enables people to buy cars、um, more.、Uh, you know, it'll accelerate the penetration rate of EVs, and what that does for ChargePoint is it means those cars show up at work, at home, at around town locations, and those businesses have to buy the long duration chargers. You know the the, the 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 chargers that serve the long duration parking market. We're engaged with project companies right now that are looking at building out either、uh, significant geographic patches in the U.S.、Uh, you know for highway transport or the entire U.S. So it's happening, and there are going to be multi people, multiple players all vying for that. So、um, that's good for consumers. By the way, it's going to give them even more options. Eventually, you'll be able to go anywhere on Earth.、Woo. Yeah. So, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> In June, the University of Michigan published a report saying that there are about 16,000 public electric vehicle charging stations in the U.S. with 43,000 connectors. A sizable chunk of those chargers belong to Tesla. Which just announced that it's expanding its supercharger stations to city centers, so that people who don't have plugs at home or at work will still have somewhere to quickly charge their cars. The first of the urban stations launched on Monday in Boston and Chicago. Tesla's website shows that there are about 950 supercharger stations globally, with about 6,500 connectors. The company's goal is to get that to 10,000 by the end of the year. Expanding this infrastructure is obviously a top priority for Tesla, now that its mass-market car, the Model 3, is on the market. I am Chelsea Sexton, and I am an electric vehicle consultant and advocate, working in the space now for over 20 years. Well, we do need quite a few more stations across the major highway networks, except for Tesla. I mean, Tesla does need to to beef up their networks with the Model Three coming and and their increasing vehicle volume coming. But the main discrepancy at the moment is infrastructure for everybody else. <laughs> When Chelsea talks about infrastructure for everybody else, what she means is that Tesla's network of chargers is actually already pretty good, but also you can only use it if you have a Tesla. There are actually a number of different charging connectors out there. It's sort of like how an iPhone charger doesn't really work for Android phones. The Tesla network is called Supercharger. The other connectors have names like Chadamo and J1772. A handful of third-party companies are building those networks that will serve all the non-Tesla electric cars. One of those players is ChargePoint, and we've heard from its CEO Pat already in this episode. There's also Greenlots and Electrify America. Electrify America is a U.S. subsidiary of Volkswagen, the German car maker. It was created as part of their court settlement for cheating regulators over diesel emissions. The big elephant in the room at the moment is the Volkswagen diesel settlement, and the fact that as part of that, they're spending two billion dollars through a new division called Electrify America on agnostic infrastructure and awareness for EVs. Two billion dollars. 
that's a lot of money that could make a lot of things happen very fast. Electrify America is planning to spend its money in several phases, and it made its first round of investments this year in April. Having the whole U.S. highway system covered is probably two to three years off uh, in terms of you know, really adequate infrastructure to not think about the, you know, not, not, to not have to think about, you know, what are the two metro areas that I'm trying to drive between. Wow. I mean, two to uh, three I think if you live off. on the West Coast, I think you're fine. And I think if you live on the East Coast, I think you'll be fine before that, or Northeast, I should say. But in arbitrary metro connectivity, you're, you're a couple years away. Right. Once the charging network is in place, Pat thinks customers will be a lot less worried about another fear around electric cars. And that's something known as range anxiety. A lot of people, including Ramon, who you heard from earlier, want to know that they can travel very long distances on a single charge. You don't need four or five, six hundred miles of range in a vehicle. That's actually overkill with respect to the battery. I think that that need is going to subside when people see fast chargers at appropriate intervals on a highway. Above 150 or 200, they start to realize yeah, I'm largely carrying around a battery pack. I don't use that often. Of course, it costs a lot of money installing thousands of these charging connectors. It's one thing for a group like Electrify America, which is getting its funds from the VW settlements. But what about Tesla? Some investors might question the wisdom of an already heavily indebted electric car maker spending big on a whole new project. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. One day this summer, I took a trip down to a Tesla supercharger near New York's JFK airport. The connectors were in the back corner of a parking lot. The plugs are stationed at the end of a regular parking bay. So you'd reverse into the spot and then take out the plug. Um, The plug hooks into the back of the car near the taillights. I should say, I hung out at the parking lot for a couple of hours and nobody pulled in to charge up. (laughs) When the whole point of your trip is to go and talk to owners of these Teslas. Yeah, my takeaway was that I was probably a bit too close to the city. Drivers have so many other places to top up that they probably only need a supercharger when they're in a more remote place. Yeah, going to these superchargers is not like going to a regular old gas station. Rather than standing next to your car like you would when you're filling up gas, most Tesla owners plug in their cars and then leave them there for like 20, 30 minutes. You want to be able to go get a coffee, use the restroom, maybe run an errand. Um, I mean, at one point I stopped and I was charging the car and I think I went outlet shopping at an Ann Taylor, which was very convenient for me. 
That's our colleague Dana Hull, who covers Tesla and SpaceX for Bloomberg. And not long ago, Tesla loaned her a car and she took it out for a short vacation. You know, when I have pulled into Tesla's either supercharger or the destination charger, you know, chances are there's another Tesla there. Or as you're getting ready to leave, another Tesla might be pulling up. And so you have this kind of social connection. It's almost like going to a dog park if you're a dog owner. You quickly get to know all of the other dog owners. You chit-chat about your dogs. The same thing happens at a Tesla supercharging or destination charging station. You start to chat about your vehicle and over-the-air over the software updates and, you know, what is Elon Musk doing next? And um, it, it's just, it's different. Building a charging network that covers the whole country, eventually the whole world, is a business imperative for Tesla. This is key to Tesla's whole business model because the Model 3 is their mass market car. They're going to have a huge volume of cars coming onto the roads within the next couple of years. And in order to meet that demand, they absolutely need to have a charging infrastructure in place. Making a viable business out of Tesla over the long term will depend on making the Model 3 a success. And it's clear that Tesla is already at its charging capacity in some parts of the network. There really is a congestion issue, particularly in California, which is Tesla's home state. And on certain routes, like the route between San Francisco and Los Angeles, for example, you know, on the weekends, road trippers, Friday night, people go back and forth. You might go into a supercharger on Interstate 5 where there might be eight spots for eight different cars. And there could be a line of people actually waiting. There's no two ways about it. Expanding the supercharger network is going to be expensive, and a lot of investors are already nervous about how much money Tesla's burning through. Remember, investing in new charging stations is just one of the many big expensive projects that Tesla's overseeing. For the last several years, Tesla has been constructing the largest factory on Earth called the Gigafactory, where all its batteries will eventually be made. They also merged with Solar City in November, taking on a lot of debt that the rooftop solar company had on its books. Tesla continues to go back to the capital markets and the bond market to raise money to kind of fuel the Model 3 and the expansion of both charging and service. So they are definitely spending you know, millions to kind of expand this network, but they see it as really being first mover advantage and, and really kind of cementing their bra the brand in the minds of the public. Despite all the money that Tesla and others are investing, it's not clear at this stage how much revenue electric vehicle charging will generate. So while Tesla is pouring millions of dollars into building more superchargers, it's an investment that will really come back to them once they start selling more cars. For a while, it was free for Tesla drivers to charge up. But at the beginning of this year, the company implemented a new policy where if you exceed the equivalent of about 1,000 miles, you have to start paying a nominal fee. Most of the people I spoke to think we'll end up with some kind of a pass, something similar to the data plan that comes with your cell phone that gives drivers access to the charging network. And if you're really organized, you may never have to stop at a supercharger at all, unless you're driving a long distance. Tesla has also developed something called destination charging, it's another little-known but important piece of Tesla's business model. This is where Tesla makes its charging connectors available to hotels, wineries, places where Tesla owners might like to go on vacation. 
I talked to a man who lives in Salt Spring Island in Canada, and he regularly drives from Canada all the way to Montana and back. Um, I mean, there are a lot of a lot of Tesla owners who road trips is a big part of their life. It's a big part of why they bought an electric car, and they will, as they plan their route, they will plan it around their charging. And this holds true in even more remote places. Dana had a chance to test this herself. Actually, in Yosemite, the Iwani Hotel has a destination charger. So this was fantastic because we were going to be, you know, in a fairly remote place in the mountains, far away from any highway where there would be a supercharger. And yet I could plan this Yosemite vacation with my family, knowing that I could charge the Tesla overnight. Eventually, as electric cars come to account for a bigger and bigger slice of the car market, and we should say that's still quite some ways off, utilities will have to think about how a new generation of electric cars will affect the national grid. See, EV batteries are big and could add up to a lot of extra burden if hundreds of thousands of them are all plugged in and charging at the same time. If done haphazardly with no coordination with utilities at scale, it is actually a very difficult problem for the grid. This is Pat Romano from ChargePoint again. If done with reasonably, you know, very practical, very simple things in coordination with the grid, it actually helps the grid. The utility networks in all countries right now are, are sort of peak demand oriented. They have to be engineered for peak demand. Just explain what Pat means here. The grid is set up in a way that means it can only handle a certain amount of demand at a time. If one building decides to turn its air conditioning on and that exceeds the generation capacity at that moment, it could bring the whole grid down. So for now, the ideal time to charge electric cars is at night when skyscrapers have their lights off and electricity demand is generally low. But there's a chance that equation could change if renewable energy, like solar and wind, start to play a more important part in our energy mix. Because our grid is built to deliver electricity instantly, we don't have a lot of infrastructure in place to store energy that we can use later. So we could be in a situation where there's too much electricity being generated during the day when the sun is out. So what that means is you want cars plugged in at work all day long and you want them potentially in the long term plugged in at home so that opportunistically the rate of charge into the car can be managed by the utility. So when the sun is burning bright and solar is providing an abundance of energy, it's a great time to charge vehicles. In fact, in many cases, they're paying people to take load right now. So there's a lot of really interesting debates within the industry going on about vehicle to grid so that potentially the cars could act as sort of mobile storage units and, and send electricity back to the grid. We're not really at the at the point yet where that's become an issue or where that's happening in practice, but it's something that people are seeing as a potential synergy that could really help manage these load issues that utility operators and grid operators are always struggling with. So, of course, the big question is whether having more chargers around will mean that people start buying more electric cars. I tested this out with Ramon Vivero. He's the listener from Southern California who we heard from at the start. In the beginning, Ramon was kind of skeptical. He told me he lives in an apartment where he couldn't install an electric charging connector. He was also worried about taking an electric vehicle on a road trip to Palm Springs. But I actually looked online, and there are places Ramon could stop to charge on the way. 
So I asked him if that made him feel different. I'm very impressed. I, I didn't think that they would be at this point for another year or two. Um, so conceivably, with only a 30-minute detour, you can go 480 miles. I mean, that's Los Angeles to Vegas easily. I mean, obviously, once we have the hyperloops, that's an entirely different. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> we're all waiting on that. And that's it for this week's episode of Decrypted. Thanks for listening. Do you have an electric car or are you thinking about getting one? We'd love to hear your story. Get in touch at decrypted at Bloomberg.net. Or I'm on Twitter at Pia Gadkari. And I'm at Aki Ito 7 If you haven't already, subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and a review. I read each and every single one of these, and it goes such a long way to get the show in front of more listeners. This episode was produced by Liz Smith and Magnus Henriksen. A very special thanks to Dana Hull for all her guidance and expertise on this topic, and to Isabel Gottlieb, who helped with research for today's episode. We'll see you next week. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.